Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is that you're listening to this. Me? Eh, I'm doing pretty good. It's been a pretty busy week. I've been guesting on a few different podcasts lately, and for one of them, part of what I had to do was research some animal fun facts, because my life is fucking awesome. Animal fun facts are pretty much the funnest of facts, and what makes them even more fun is they are weird enough that if you forget one, you can just make one up, and it's probably true, because animals are weird as shit, man. Like, did you know that if a koala bear licks your eyeball, then it can control your brain for up to three days telepathically? Yeah, that's true. Probably. And lemurs can correctly identify pictures of their mate's butt from over 27 yards away using only echolocation. Wow! And just last year, scientists confirmed for the first time that the white-faced gibbon is great. How about that? Nice work, science. So, as you might have guessed from this intro, I've used up all of my thoughts on other podcasts. So, if you want to hear those, then keep your ears peeled. I'll be appearing on the Smash Fiction podcast in a couple of weeks, I think, but we recorded it the other day. And I will be appearing tomorrow night on the Graphic Policy Radio podcast, where I will be discussing the new series Deathstroke, uh, as written by Priest. So that should be fun. I'm looking forward to that. And you can listen to it. That one should be coming out on Wednesday the 11th, I believe. Not sure when the Smash Fiction one's coming out, but as I said, keep your ears peeled and your eyeballs protected from koalas. Because they'll get in there, man. Anyway, that was one of the dumbest intros I've recorded in a long time. So, without any further ado, let's do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Devin Tuhey. If you're a Brooklyn Nine-Nine shipper, you might hope for a cop kiss. If you're a hub and summary shipper, you will love the synopsis. Thanks, Devin. New Teen Titans, number 32, June 1983. Thunder and Lightning. Written by Marv Wolfman, drotted by George Perez, inked by Romeo Tangal, colored by Adrienne Roy, lettered by Ben Oda, and edited by Len Wein. Teen Titan Roll Call Starfire, Robin, Raven, Cyborg, Wonder Girl, Kid Flash, Beast Boy, Terra, Speedy, and Francis Kane. Previously in the New Teen Titans, our heroes wrapped up a storyline that brought them to the seemingly idyllic Baltic nation of Zandia, which is populated entirely by criminals. They got mixed up with some sort of nonsense involving surprisingly spry septicentennial cult leader Brother Blood, and a group of ridiculous accent-having international terrorists, the Brotherhood of Evil. The details are a little hazy, but everyone fought everybody, and now the Titans are headed home. Hooray! 
Other details of note include Donna's divorcee college professor boyfriend, Terry Long, proposed marriage, and Donna responded by saying, Uh, gee, thanks, can I get back to you about that? Cyborg found out that his non-girlfriend Sarah Sims has a fiancé who likes to wear basketball jerseys over his turtleneck. Bummer! A brash young earthbending orphan named Tara has joined the team. Robin and Starfire have been dating, but Robin has been stressed out and acting like a dismissive asshole lately. After overextending herself and having a bit of a breakdown, Raven briefly lost control of her emotions, allowing the portion of her evil demon dad Trigon, who lives in her soul, to climb out of her tummy and temporarily take over her body. During his time at the helm of the USS Raven, Trigon nearly killed Kid Flash. Raven managed to wrestle her fiendish father back into his bad dad pad in her soul stomach. But now the avian empath no longer trusts herself to use her powers, lest she once again free Trigon from his ethereal slash intestinal prison. As for Kid Flash, in light of recent events, Wally has been vacillating between hating and fearing Raven, convinced that she is irredeemably evil, and wanting to date her. The conflicted crusader began questioning his continued career in crime fighting. The Titans have also had a couple of house guests lately. Wally's childhood chum, Francis Kane, has been palling around with our heroes while she learns to control her newfound magnetic superpowers. As has arrogant adolescent archer Speedy, who recently teamed up with a gang to help fight some drug dealers. Gad Zooks! How long can our tumultuous team continue with a roster of ten Titans? Will Robin's first name continue to be an accurate description of his character? Will Wally get his shit together and finally make a decision? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... About four pages. Yup. And... No. At least not in this issue. Two masked young men, Gan and Tavis, stand side by side in front of an apartment building in St. Louis. The duo, her respectively dressed in blue and orange costumes, discuss over a telepathic link that they share that they are not particularly stoked about whatever it is that they are about to do, but are unable to stop themselves from doing it. They demand that the building's occupants tell them the whereabouts of 2nd Lieutenant Walter Williams. When the terrified tenants are unable to comply, the complimentary color-clad questioners demand slash plead that the building be evacuated, as they are unable to contain their powers any longer. The confused St. Louisans... St. Louisians? St. Lunatics. Nellie and the St. Lunatics. Reluctantly comply, and a few seconds later, from out of a previously clear sky, thunder crashes and lightning strikes, and the building is reduced to rubble. Gan and Tavis, who we learn are brothers, remove their masks and flee to a nearby park, terrified at the destruction they have just apparently unleashed. Terrified, in part, because although they were not entirely in control of themselves at the time, they kind of enjoyed it. Hmm. Teenagers who have bottled something up inside of themselves, are unable to prevent themselves from releasing it, who feel great pleasure at the release but are guilty and confused afterwards? Gosh, yeah, I feel like there might be a metaphor in there somewhere. But what could it be for? Probably Pokemon or something. Meanwhile, high above the Atlantic Ocean, the Teen Titans are on their jet plane, returning from whatever nonsense I've already forgotten that they got up to in Zandia. Donna is thinking, Gosh, Robin's been such a sulky asshole lately. He seems super stressed out. I wish he'd talk to us and tell us what's going on. Robin is thinking, I'm a sulky asshole. I'm super stressed out. I'm not going to talk to my teammates and tell them what's going on, though. Maybe I'll just leave the team. 
Raven confesses to Starfire that she's pretty freaked out about whether or not she's able to control her powers, and that maybe she should just leave the team. Francis approaches Wally and asks if he wants to go back with her to their hometown of Blue Valley when she leaves the team. Wally responds by turning to Cyborg and Beast Boy and telling them that he never wanted his powers and that he got them in an accident. Uh, Wally, I want you to think about who you're talking to for just a second. Gar got his powers when he contracted a potentially fatal disease as an infant, and Vic got his when an extra-dimensional fart monster killed his mom and ate most of his body. So, as one of the few non-orphans on the team, maybe you should chill a little bit about whining to your teammates about how hard it is to be able to run real fast. Speedy interrupts Wally's angstathon to inform the group that as soon as the plane lands, he will be leaving the team. Hooray! Tara's like, yeah, yeah, everybody wants to quit, whatever. When are you assholes going to tell me your secret identities? Huh, that's kind of a non sequitur there, but fair enough. Cyborg and Tara start squabbling, which, naturally, Beast Boy takes as an opportunity to turn into a snake and playfully sexually harass Tara. Because of course he does. Damn it, Gar! A few minutes later, the plane lands. Once they're back at the Titan Tower, Robin announces that he's taking off for a couple of weeks. Starfire asks if she can talk to the belligerent boy Wonder, and he straight up gives her the Heisman, completely ignoring her. Dick move, Dick. Frances Kane also bids the team farewell, heading back to Blue Valley, presumably so she can be nearer to her abusive asshole mother who disowned her. Bye, Francis! Speedy announces that he too is leaving. Once again, hooray! Then he grabs Starfire and non-consensually smooches her. So she blasts him with one of her magic space fire punches, and the inappropriately amorous archer goes flying across the room. Triple super hooray! Meanwhile, back in St. Louis, the army has been deployed to deal with Gan and Tavis, who are now self-identifying as the issue's titular Thunder and Lightning. Gan being Thunder to Tavis's Lightning. The teenage forces of nature, or perhaps more accurately, force of nature and ineffectual but noisy side effect to a force of nature, warn the assembled armed forces that they are unable to control themselves and will soon unleash their destructive powers. The army guys decide to call their bluff, only to find that the beleaguered brothers were not, in fact, bluffing. The superpowered siblings trigger their tempestuous abilities, and the army dudes are scattered to the four winds. Non-lethally, of course. The captions are quite clear about that. Back at the Titan Tower, the members of the team that haven't quit or taken a sabbatical are hanging out. Starfire informs Wonder Girl that she has decided to follow her advice and stop pursuing a relationship with Robin. Good for her. Actually, what she technically says is, I think you're right, Donna. I'm not going to bother with Dick anymore. Feel free to interpret that however you like. Donna applauds her teammate on her decision. Perhaps a bit of a vacation to Paradise Island is in order. Just saying, it seems like a nice place. The team is interrupted from their various conversations by a FaceTime call from the canonical worst teen titan ever. Speedy informs his recent roommates that some shit has been going down in St. Louis that seems like it might require their attention. He'd help them out with it, but he's too busy being a terrible person right now. You know how it is. Terra, Beast Boy, Raven, Starfire, Kid Flash, Wonder Girl, and Cyborg pile into the Titan jet. Vic tells Donna that she's in charge of the team, seeing as how Robin is AWOL. Donna's like, well, how come you're not in charge? Which seems like a fair question. Vic tells Donna that he's been pretty upset ever since he found out that his definitely not girlfriend, Sarah Sims, is engaged to a dude who wears a basketball jersey over his turtleneck sweaters. 
He figures that in his emotionally compromised state, he doesn't trust his ability to make rational decisions, so Donna is in charge. That is some remarkably emotionally mature thinking, Vic. I know that I have definitely made some pretty poor life choices after seeing particularly offensive wardrobe combinations. I also like that neither of them considers any of their other teammates' management material, which is kind of fair. When the Titans arrive in the Gateway to the West, they find that Thunder and Lightning are once again locked in a standoff with the military. As one of the army dudes fills Donna in on the situation, Coriander flies over to confront the destructive siblings. When he sees the Tamaranian princess hovering before him, Thunder informs his brother that the energies that flow through him are ready to explode and that he must release them. Oh, I got some bad news for you, Gan. You see, Starfire has recently made a decision and I don't think you're really your type. The brothers use their respective powers to blast Starfire out of the sky. Then everybody fights. During the ensuing scuffle, Thunder repeats that they are merely seeking information about 2nd Lieutenant Walter Williams, and that once they find him, they will leave peacefully. The demolishing duo fights our septet of superheroes for several pages until eventually, Lightning knocks out Beast Boy, and Starfire knocks out Lightning. While the respective sides of the scuffle nurse their wounds, Thunder shares the information that if they don't find the lieutenant they are seeking, their powers will soon overwhelm and kill the reluctantly destructive siblings. This piques our hero's interest long enough for everyone to sit down for a minute and listen while Gan shares the origin story of Thunder and Lightning. It all started many years ago. Jeff Bridges was a brash young con man who was hoping that grizzled thief, Clint Eastwood, would act as his mentor. Oh, no, wait, that's Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. My bad. It's a pretty good movie, though. There's this one scene where George Kennedy's character is pretending to be an ice cream man, and he tells a little kid to... Go fuck a duck. I think about that scene probably once a week. Anyway, Thunder and Lightning's origin is a little different from that. It all started many years ago in the early stages of the Vietnam War. Walter Williams was sent to Vietnam as a military advisor. He fell in love with a local woman, and they had some sex. But then he was reassigned, and they never saw each other again. Well, it turned out that lady got pregnant, and when her village found out that the father was a serviceman, they kicked her out. The distraught, ostracized expectant mother started sailing around the North China Sea, eventually ending up on a legendary mystical island called Hsuan. When the woman finally gave birth, her sons were conjoined twins, but a local wizard named Chan Ti used some sort of magic to separate the twins. As the twins grew, they found that they had fantastic powers to control lightning, which is pretty rad, and thunder, which is not really a separate thing, but in the context of this comic seems to just mean making stuff explode and being real strong. So I guess that's pretty neat too. Now the boys' powers are threatening to kill them, and Chan Ti told them that their only hope to regain control and save their lives is finding their father and getting some of his blood. Which brings us up to present, and for some reason, to St. Louis. Once Gan and Tavis have finished their narration, the Titans express sympathy. Donna mentions that she knows someone in army intelligence who might be able to help them. You guys, I think she means Wonder Woman. But then some random army dude shows up and is like, Never mind all that. You guys don't have to have an awesome team up with Wonder Girl's unnamed but probably Wonder Woman friend. I just got a computer printout that says that Lieutenant Williams' last known address is in a fishing village in Maine. Well, that's all Gan and Tavis needed to hear. Before the army guy even has a chance to finish reading his printout, the powerful pair of siblings hop on a lightning bolt and fly off to Maine. 
Minutes later, the Bellicose brothers arrive in Maine and start demanding that the local fishermen tell them where their father is. Unsurprisingly, the Mainers do not comply. Partly because they don't know where the missing lieutenant is, but probably mostly because Gan and Tavis are from away. Raven teleports in and tries to calm Thunder and Lightning down, but no dice. An out-of-control Thunder backhands the Azerathian empath and continues on his rampage. Then, Terra, Wally, Gar, Vic, and Starfire show up, and a regular Donnybrook ensues. After a few pages of fisticuffs, the Titans appear to be gaining the upper hand when Donna shows up in a helicopter and tells everybody to knock off all the horseplay because she's just been to Washington and she's got some news. So, everybody knocks off all the horseplay and sits down and listens to Donna's news. She informs the assembled cadre of recent combatants that she has just learned that Walter Williams was a military scientist who was doing genetic experiments which affected his own genes. Last month, there was an explosion at his lab here in Maine, and no bodies were recovered. The brothers are despondent, because if there is an explosion in the lab and the body was not recovered, surely he must be dead. Yeah, surely. Jeez, guys, you've been living in a comic book your whole lives. Pay attention! Even if there is a corpse, there's like a 96% chance that it's a life model decoy, or a clone, or a dimensional mix-em-up, or a never-explained editorial oversight. Vic offers to take the bereaved brothers to Star Labs and have the scientists there poke and prod them and see if they can figure out a way to cure them. Gan and Tavis acquiesce. Hooray! After dropping Thunder and Lightning off at Star Labs, Starfire is like, Gee, it's a real bummer that their dad is dead. Donna replies, Oh, he's not dead. See? What did I just tell you guys? Donna goes on to inform the gang that Walter Williams has been on the run from the government for years, and that everything about his case has been declared so top secret that even Wonder Woman doesn't have security clearance to figure out what the dude's deal is. But one thing's for sure, he definitely isn't dead. Probably. So, Wonder Girl just lied to those guys and told them that their dad was dead for their own good, because she knew best. Huh. Seems like she's doing a pretty good job of filling Robin's ridiculous little elf shoes as the team's leader. And after his months-long excursion in Southeast Asia, where he ran afoul of magical amulets and interstellar Natalie Bruglia and cursed hot wings, etc., at long last, I am joined by my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? It is going well. How are you? I'm doing well. It's it's nice to have you here for a live recording. It's very nice. Thank you. It's good to be here. Excellent. So, what'd you think of the comic? So much fun. It was fun. It was confusing, and like there was the typical stuff where you're a little bit complicated for no reason, things don't really add up, and it was nice. It's been a while since <laughs> I've read <laughs> Teen Titans uh, book. Yeah, it was a pretty issue. It was a more or less standalone issue. I mean, it definitely set the seeds for a storyline that they'll return to later. But I liked it. I thought it was pretty fun. There were some pacing issues and also some logistical issues. But you're right. It's nice to do a regular Teen Titans comic book again. And overall, I enjoyed it. Yes. So, Thunder and Lightning, huh? Yeah. They seem like interesting characters. Yeah, okay. I think we've both had an issue with the fact that Thunder and Lightning are presented as though they are equivalent forces. Like, 
Thunder seems like an okay guy, I guess. But it seems like his power would just be like, Here comes my brother! Mm -hmm. Like, Thunder doesn't do anything. It's not its own thing. And he's always the precursor to great destruction being wrought uh, due to his temperature. His temperature? His, uh... Temperament? Temper getting out of control. Uh-huh. Like, oh, it's building! I can't help it! Things are gonna <laughs> blow up soon! Yeah. And, uh, and lightning's gonna chill out, man. But if memory serves, the lightning usually is the first thing, and then the thunder comes later, because it's uh, slower. It travels slower than light sound does. Good point. Rongo bongo. Yeah. Also, thunder does not topple buildings, as I understand it, typically. No, that'd be more of a lightning thing. Okay. Um, yeah, thunder not really technically a destructive force. And you're right, I hadn't even thought of the part where the lightning comes before the thunder. So, really, he's not even a good hype man. No, he's a bad hype man. <laughs> it's kind of weird. That being said, I like the costume design on them pretty well. Mm -hmm. it, it's interesting. It definitely has, like, a kind of pan-Asian ancient Mm -hmm. look to it but still kind of in the realm of superhero costume little bit of an iron fist uh thing going yeah. on yeah yeah kind of has that vibe but without like the low-cut v-neck mm -hmm. i think these might be the first asian heroes that we've seen mm. not just in this issue in this comic book but some of the first in dc comics at all i mean i think at this point there is the karate kid who is from the future. He's part of the Legion of Superheroes, mm -hmm. who I believe is supposed to be half Japanese, but is often drawn as just a white-looking dude. Mm -hmm. And there is Lady Shadow, who was in the uh, Richard Dragon Kung Fu stories. And there was, I guess, the O-Sensei mm. that they had. Really not a very particularly well-rounded character there. But yeah, not a lot of depictions of, of Asians in DC Comics, so it's it's interesting to see this. I think the last one that we saw was the debut of Lilith. It seemed as though she was supposed to be Asian. We had, we had discussed that a little right. bit, in that that was the way that everybody creepily hit on her, mm -hmm. including Speedy, who, golly, he hasn't grown up a lot, has he? Sure has not. But yeah, overall, Thunder and Lightning, interesting characters. Their origin didn't make a ton of sense to me, but I'm curious to see if more comes of them. Yeah, kind of curious also that now that you mentioned the Karate Kid being biracial, these guys are as are, well. They are also biracial, yes. Yeah. Their father was a secret military government. secret military government consultant who was a scientist who was experimenting on his own genetics in Vietnam. And for, for some reason. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and then their their mom kind of bopped around from country to country until she ended up on a mystical, apparently multiracial island in the North China Sea, mm -hmm. where there's magic and stuff. Strong incense. Yep. Strong. Yeah. <laughs> ancient incense uh. and strong jade leaves. Yeah. She should be hitting up that ancient Jamaican incense. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I think Wolfman might have been hitting the strong Jamaican incense in this one. Although, Terra did admonish us that getting stoned is bad. <laughs> yep. There are so many weird one-off bits of dialogue in this issue. It's been so long since we have read a regular Teen Titans comic book. Mm -hmm. I mean, me and Lisa have been covering the miniseries, but yeah, there's some weird shit in this. Yeah, no, it was fun. As I said, there's some things that just don't really seem to make sense in terms of Thunder and Lightning are looking for their dad mm -hmm. because... The wizard that they know told them that they need him or else their powers will destroy them. Mm -hmm. 
Were you picking up on their power seeming like they were maybe some kind of an extended metaphor for a sexual awakening? Or like, it, it totally seemed like an almost twilight level of your body's going through changes and they will seem scary to you. <laughs> Don't do this stuff at the dinner table. But like, um. let, let me just read a little bit of the dialogue. <laughs> Please, Gan, don't do it. Tavis, you know I cannot help myself. The forces build within me. The, the idea that their powers present in a way of this building pressure within them, and then they just need to release them, and it feels good, but they know that they shouldn't do it. Mm. It seemed like pretty blatant sexual metaphor. Yeah, when you say it like that, I, I guess you could read it that way. I, I missed it, but huh? yeah. Either way, mm. a powerful message. A powerful message. <laughs> I don't know what that message is. I mean, I guess just don't have sex. Mm. Because you'll blow up St. Louis. Yeah, why St. Louis also? That was part of what didn't make sense to me, is I don't understand how they tracked their father to St. Louis. They say they asked the government, and the government said they had no idea where he was. So they went out to St. Louis and just started yelling at apartment buildings. And apparently they found the right one because this, like, Archie Bunker-looking dude leans out the window and is like, He left weeks ago! Leave us alone! We don't know where he is! But then the government does show up and it's like, His last known address was in Maine! But don't go there, you'll never find him! It's like, you just said you had his last address! Mm -hmm. I don't understand how that stuff goes on. Also, the government person says they have his last known address. She is holding a piece of paper that presumably has that address on it. And as soon as they hear Maine, they just up and out. Mm -hmm. Maybe they want to take that piece of paper with them. Yeah, no, this is uh, Thunder acting brashly. And I guess just assuming since Maine is small, it shouldn't be too hard to find their dad. It is a surprisingly large state. I mean, for a New England state. Oh, Who yeah. Who fit the rest of New England in Maine? That's pretty big. Yeah. By New England standards. Uh-huh. Especially if he's kind of off the grid. Like, if he's in North Maine... Mm -hmm. That place is, you can't find anything there. There are many places there where you can't get there from here. That also made me think of accents. There's a bit in here where Thunder and Lightning are talking and they're like, well, they've got big accents, so clearly, strong accents. Clearly they're not <laughs> It doesn't even say they're strong. I think it's slight accents. Donna says, they're good. Hmm. They have a definite accent. So they're not from this country. Yeah. Huh. I don't know if I'm more disappointed that they didn't attempt to write them phonetically. Or I am not. so glad they didn't attempt to write them phonetically. <laughs> I don't see that going well. It's Honestly, it's one thing when it's European accents, when it's Asian accents or really, or accents of any people of color. Mm -hmm. It goes so much worse so fast. It does, yeah. Probably best to have yeah, dodged I'm, that. Yeah, I'm glad they left that out, but also... You know what, Donna? There's plenty of people within this country who have accents. Even in the state of Maine. Especially even in the state of Maine. Life in the slow lane. Ah, yeah. So one other thing that struck me as a little bit odd about this issue, which was kind of nice, honestly, for the most part, there are almost no mentions of the previous super intense, super convoluted storyline that they are just returning from, which didn't really seem like it had wrapped up all that neatly, but I guess it's just done for now. Like the whole thing with the Brotherhood of Evil and the Church of Blood, mm -hmm. we don't really know how that resolved. Last we saw the Teen Titans, they had a big fight in a cave and I guess Raven beat everybody up. 
mm-hmm. and now they're coming back from Zandia. We don't know if they just... Did they just turn the Brotherhood of Evil over to the Church of Blood? Like, that seems irresponsible. That seems irresponsible. And the only real bit of dialogue about it I can remember is Wonder Girl and Cyborg are talking about marriage. And she's like, yeah, I can face down Brother Blood, no problem, but walk in the aisle, sheesh. Yeah. But that's really all they... Yeah, there are almost no references to this intense storyline that just happened. You have some of the fallout of it. You've got Raven being a little more gun-shy with her powers, because, you know, her evil bad dad might crawl out of her tummy and wreck the joint. Got Robin being... Robin continuing to be a dick. Really, really not feeling the team dynamics at this point, though. No. And just being an asshole in general. We get a few fucking assholes in this issue. This issue is chock full of assholes. Oh my god. Yeah. So, let's start with Robin. Okay. He is going through this internal dialogue of how he doesn't know where he should be. He's obviously preoccupied with his own thoughts. But in the last issue, I think he had made some slight progress, at least barely, in terms of apologizing to Starfire and saying that sometimes he needs to be left alone, but he has been treating her shabbily. This issue, we get a full regression, and she's like, hey, Dick, can we talk? And he just completely ignores her and walks by her without saying a goddamn thing, and then just kind of bugs off and is gone for the rest of the issue. Mm -hmm. Before he does that, he says to Donna that he's tired of keeping this Looney Tune tag team together. So, a couple things about that. One, that's a hell of an attitude, Robin. Two, how many people do you think are in a fucking tag team? (laughs) Even if you're going, like, Freebird rules, that's three. Hmm. There are, like, eight people on this team at that point. We get rid of a couple of them in this issue, but that is not a tag team. That is, at minimum, a stable of wrestlers. It's a bad mixed metaphor. It's a bad mixed metaphor. He did a bad job. Boo. Continuing with the bad job train. Wally. Wally West. Wally West continues to be a dick. It's like every other... It's not even every other issue because it's within the issue too. Him going back and forth on the degree to which he feels like being an asshole to Raven. Mm-hmm. While you were gone, we read Raven's origin story and we find out that since around issue 12 of this series, I think that was around the time during which the miniseries came out, mm-hmm. Wally has definitively known about Trigon being inside of Raven's soul self and having the potential to rear his evil head and fuck everything up. But he still acted like it was a huge reveal when that information came out in the, like, at the beginning of this last storyline that just wrapped up. And in every issue since then, he's gone back and forth on, I hate Raven, she's evil, and... But I still like her and I should rescue her. But she's evil and good riddance. And now he's back to she's evil, good riddance. I'm just sick of it. He's also waffling on, am I a superhero or just like a shitty student? Because I can't do both. Yeah. Well, and specifically the way he phrases that he can't do both is, Uh, I can't juggle two balls. I wrote that down as well. Okay, first of all, if you only have two balls, you don't need to juggle them. You can just hold one in each hand. Mm Mm-hmm. Terrible metaphor. Second of all, you have canonically juggled five balls with your feet. That's true. We've seen it. Yeah, we've seen you do that. So don't say you can't juggle two balls. You're very good at juggling at super speed. And if you only have two things, you don't need to juggle. I am shaking my head. Ah, very, very upsetting to me. Mm. Terrible juggling metaphor. He's being so wishy-washy about, do I even want to join the team? Bring back the syrup chugging, foot juggling rapscallion that we 
we used to appreciate. That's I what know, I say. the bad guitar playing, caterwauling. Somewhat lovable goofball. Yeah. What happened to you, Wally West? Oh, boy. What happened? I think one thing that happened to him is he spent too much time hanging out with asshole number three, Speedy. Uh, Fucking Speedy. Do you think Kid Flash is jealous of Speedy's nickname? I think probably. Hmm. I think at least it's got to be confusing. Confuses me. Yeah. Still, I've read a lot of these comics. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they were ever planning on having the two characters interact when they came up with Speedy's name. It seems like that should be the name that Kid Flash should have. Yeah. But Speedy's a dick. And the good news is, he's leaving the team. Mm-hmm. Hooray! Yep, he's gonna go fight drugs. Yep, fight him good. Mm-hmm. He only likes to hang out and fight crime for fun in a perverted way. Semi-perverted? I think the way he does it is canonically pretty perverted, but let's see if that is the way that he phrases it. Nope, he doesn't say semi. That's my real job. Fighting supervillains is just fun, in a perverted sort of way. Yeah, hey man, I'm not trying to kink shame Speedy. If if fighting supervillains is the way that he needs to release the pressure that is building inside of him so that nobody gets hurt... (laughs) then that's none of my business. I mean, he can do what he needs to do, but I don't remember how I was going to end that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) But just go fight some supervillains if that's how you need to get your rocks off. Don't go trying to fucking smooch Starfire when she clearly is not into it. Don't do it. No, you are setting a terrible example for fucking Beast Boy, who is also doing shit like that, but we'll get to him in a minute. The important part is Starfire punches the shit out of him. Yeah, I almost wonder if it's a punch or she actually blasterizes him. I think she did blasterize him. I think it was a space laser punch because it made the screen noise. Yeah. Yeah. And his arrows go scattering everywhere. That was one of the most gratifying panels that I have seen in a long while. I did enjoy it. I think at some point somebody needs to go full on end of death proof on Speedy and that will be the really gratifying part. Mm. It looked like that mu- it was kind of building towards that because Tara was just like, hey, you want to try that shit on me? And Wonder Girl was just like, I've been wanting to do that for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I would like to see a scene where the three of them just sit around and beat the shit out of Speedy for a while. Mm-hmm. Like maybe a full issue. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That was, it was good to see. It was good to see. But there were no repercussions when... Gar decided to turn himself into a snake and wrap himself around Terra and then say creepy shit to her. Mm-hmm. And that was frustrating. I wanted him to get punched, too. It was frustrating particularly because I think it was presented in such a way as if it was supposed to be whimsical or cute or, or something about their, their budding relationship, but it just read as creepy. I think that's the way that it comes off with a lot of Beast Boy stuff, and I don't know to what extent it was... I think Perez trying to mitigate the creepiness of it by making it cute, but that somehow made it worse. Right. I'm going to try to find his dialogue. He turns himself into a snake, wraps himself up around Terra, presumably to try to break up a potential conflict between her and Cyborg. And then she says, Logan, get those scales off of me or you're dead meat. And he goes, yeah, what a way to die. Come on, admit it. You love this gross you don't like i don't care if you've changed yourself into a snake you don't get to wrap yourself around somebody who doesn't want you to and act that way no it's terrible yeah not even as a snake especially not as a snake you're right especially not as a snake bad job beast boy yeah not calling you changeling never 
We also find out, just speaking of Beast Boy doing a shitty job, we find out that he has joke writers? Oh, I thought he was billing himself as a joke writer. Oh, so he was that he was like leaving his business card with Thunder and saying, "Hey, you should get yourself some joke writers like me. I could be one of your joke Yours writers." Truly, I thought he was saying, "You should get some joke writers like me, because I have joke writers." He is very rich. He is very rich, and we do see that he did hire a consultant to come up with the terrible name Changeling. I wonder if he has those people writing fucking jokes for him. I wonder if he has like some kind of retainer where there's a shitty version of Bruce Valanche coming up with crap ass one-liners for him to spout as he sexually harasses people. I think that those are his. You think those are Beast Boy originals? Yep. I think he hired shitty Bruce Valanche. If only there were some way (laughs) to fact check this. But alas. Let's go on to other people doing a bad job. Okay. Those are the main people that did a really bad job. Yep. But we do see that Cyborg is still upset about finding out that Sarah Sims was dating somebody. Mm -hmm. And so he declines leadership because he is having a emotionally traumatic day. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, I thought that was well. It was well reasoned and very emotionally mature of him, I felt. Mm -hmm. However, the way that he presented it was the mood I'm in, I might just lead us into a death trap. Well, I think you'd be taking over for Robin, so, like, that would be, like, A-plus material. <laughs> like, that is the way that Teen Titan leadership works. That's, that, you go for the trap. Yeah. You go into the trap. That is how you spring a trap, is to walk into it exactly as you were intended to and fall for the trap. That is the only way to do it in this I don't world. know if there is another way. There is not? Not for, not for me and not for the Teen Titans, I'll tell you that much. For Thank free, you. sir. Oh, appreciated. Yeah, it's a bargain. <laughs> Wicked you get to display some Yankee thrift there, buddy. Oh. Take those savings up to the Kittery Trading Post. Oh, man. Get yourself a bow and arrow. Bow and arrow. Some long underwear. That is a wonderful place. Oh, boy. I hope it's still there. I'm sure it is. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Who else do we have? We have Donna. She ends up assuming leadership of the team. She does all right, I think. She does all right. Questionable profiling of their of uh, Thunder and Lightning's accents. But overall, she does a pretty good job. But she also picked up some leadership skills from one Dick Grayson. Mm. And that would be misleading the people and withholding information from them. She tells Thunder and Lightning she strongly implies that their uh, dad is dead. Right. Because, you know, she knows best. To get them to stop blowing things up. Yes, to get them to stop blowing things up. But I think they were done blowing stuff up at that point anyway. It seemed like the battle was over. And then she's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, your dad's had an accident and his place blew up. Yeah, like what's going to happen when she finds dad for them and then is like, ah, just kidding, guys. You know, oh, sorry, my bad. Like, they're probably going to... Good news! They're going to blow shit up again. I would imagine. I I mean, at that point, maybe they'll be like, oh, well, that's what we wanted. Like, I guess this is good news. She does have the default of like, I never said he was dead, just that there was an explosion and nobody survived. Mm. Mm. Lawyer talk. Yeah. (laughs) Finley hates lawyers. (laughs) We've gone through most of the uh, Teen Titans. Uh, how do how do you feel like Raven fared in this issue? Mm, she didn't get a lot of airplay, right? So to speak, she uh, teleported to Maine. Yeah, and I tried to calm she, things down. She did fine. I think her self reflection was a little bit like less mopey than it tends to be. Where Starfire reaches out and is like, "Hey, I I know we like 
aren't super close or whatever, but I can see you're really bummed out and I'd like to help you. Yeah. You know, just being a generally kind of awesome person, trying to be a good friend. And Raven's like, hey, thanks. I really appreciate that. But, you know, there's nothing you can do because the problem has to do with, like, what I am. And I don't even know how to deal with that shit. Yeah. Like, that I thought was was a, one of the more reasonable takes on the whole Trigon thing that she has expressed. Yeah, I agree. I think she did an okay job with that. I don't know what they're going to do with the character. Like, it seems like she's even less useful to the team than she used to be. I felt like she was finding her feet as kind of the team's cleric, who just like, you know, you heal somebody up. But now we see that she can't heal people up anymore because she's not willing to use her powers for that. She also is, like, as they're trying to include her, like, the girls are kind of having a chat, uh-huh. talking about, like, oh, Starfire, you know, Donna's like, just leave Dick alone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or, we'll get to that later. But, and then they're trying to include Raven. They're like, what do you think, Raven? And she says one of my favorite things that I think I'm actually going to start maybe saying, I'll call it maybe pulling a Raven. Yeah. And she's just like, I am ill at ease with social protocols. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's so Raven. I know. But like, there's been a lot of times I felt like that. They're like, what do you think, Corey? And I'm just like, I'm uncomfortable. I am ill at ease with social protocols. I don't don't want to be part of this. That is a good arrow to have in your quiver. Thank you. We talked about Beast Boy earlier. Do you think he's okay? He gets pretty badly injured at the end of the episode. And Cyborg's like, Raven, get over here and heal him. Mm. And then... Nothing happens with that. I guess everybody forgets that Beast Boy got lightningified because lightning is also injured. And then everybody immediately pivots to, oh, Raven, heal him. And then she also can't heal him. But we never find out what happened with Beast Boy. Did just nobody give a shit anymore? Yeah, maybe. It's like, oh, I think Beast Boy's hurt. Oh, wait, this stranger who was trying to kill us is also hurt. Heal him. Heal him. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they were just like taking five. Just be like, ah. It's quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Remember when he was unconscious for, like, four issues? Yeah, wasn't that awesome? Man, what a time. Hmm. We have the ancillary characters. We get Francis Kane is apparently leaving the team Mm -hmm. as well. Undecided whether Kid Flash is leaving the team. Mm -hmm. He's been riding that fence for a long goddamn time. Yeah. Uh, We got that Speedy's leaving the team. Risk of redundancy. Hooray. What did you think of Terra in this issue? I thought she acquitted herself quite well in combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was sad that she had to put up with Beast Boy's antics that we touched on. Mm-hmm. I like that she made the joke about getting stoned as bad after dropping all those rocks on the guy. That's fair. What did you think of her weird fixation with, like, people are quitting the team, everybody's having heart-to-heart conversations, and she just kind of interjects, how come you guys never tell me your secret identities? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It seemed like a pretty seemed reasonable, reasonable. Yeah. thing. Like, trust. Trust me. I'm part of the team now. Why don't you guys trust me? I think that's fair. I think it seemed like weird timing to me for her to bring that up. But everybody's timing is weird in this. It is. But also, I don't know. I do appreciate the teenagery aspects of the way that these characters are, are written from time to time. Right. And, and the fact that she goes from that, like, bugging her to, like, oh, fuck it. I just want a day off. I want to go see a movie. Oh, fuck, we got to go back to work. The superhero thing is kind of a pain. Yeah, she does seem to have more of the temperamental, actual teenager side than most of the characters, which I think is kind of funny because she also, in the way that Wolfman tries to write her as a teenager, I think he ends up using more dialogue for her from his own youth. Mm. You know? Mm. Which seems weird. Interesting. Like, she's the one who 
has been using. She doesn't in this issue, just just a spoiler for the Bozone section. But she's the only person who has said Bozo mm-hmm. recently. And she just, it, it's odd. To me, her, her dialogue seems somehow more old-timey and that that is how she displays her youth. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. I always thought of it like he was trying to write her in a slightly more innocent light than the others. Hmm. But I guess that's the way that that translates for him is like saying, golly, instead of, uh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, like the other Titans are constantly saying. Dropping F-bombs yeah, and Yeah, just like, yeah. fuck you, you fucking fucks, yeah. as they're fighting the Brotherhood of Evil. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that just leaves us with Starfire. What did you think of Starfire, this issue? Good job, Starfire. Good job, Starfire. She punched Speedy. She's aces in my book. Yep. But my favorite thing that happens in regard to Starfire is that she is tired of Robin's bullshit, which she demonstrates by saying, perhaps the greatest line in a Teen Titans comic book. I know where you're going with this. Uh-huh. It is on page eight. So Donna has previously counseled her that Starfire was confiding in her like, Dick's being a real dick. Mm-hmm. And Donna's just like, yeah, leave him alone, man. Like, either he'll get over it or maybe you guys just shouldn't be together. Starfire thinks it over for a couple of pages mm-hmm. and then comes into the room and says, I think you're right, Donna. I'm not going to bother with Dick anymore. Nope. Yeah. I had a good chuckle about that. It's well. really good. And that is the line that is followed up with Donna says, good for you. If he really cares, he'll let you know. Do you agree, Raven? And Raven just says, I, I do not know. I am ill at ease with social protocol. <laughs> so good. I'm with Raven on that. Yeah, man. Good call. Because you know she's got plenty of stuff. And she if she talks as much shit about... Robin, as she wants to right there, they're just going to get back together, and then it's going to be super awkward. Yeah, good call, Raven. And frankly, good call, Starfire. Absolutely. I hope she... I hope she never bothers with Dick again. I have a dialogue question for you. Okay. On page two, it's either right before or right after Thunder and Lightning blow up the apartment building. One of the kind of extra characters, one of the folks in the crowd says, they did it, those kids. What the hell is he talking about? Thunder and Lightning just blew up an apartment building. Or they're in the process of blowing up. Oh, they're supposed to be kids. Yeah, I think they're they're teens. not, Not really drawn very... It's tough to tell. Yeah, they're kids like the Teen Titans are kids. Where the the ages are really pretty nebulously defined. Uh, Somebody brought up something actually in an email recently where we've both talked about the fact that it's kind of creepy the way that Terry Long is dating Donna where she's 19 and he's like, he keeps describing him as 29, but clearly he's like in his 40s. Mm. Sarah Sims is also probably significantly older than Cyborg. He's a teenager. He's a teen titan. If she's an elementary school teacher, she's got to be at least in her Mm mid-20s. And it never occurred to me because she's drawn looking younger than Terry and has less of the more overt trappings of adulthood. Like she doesn't have an an ex or a kid or a fancy apartment, you know, Mm -hmm. or beard. Um, (laughs) But it is weird, like the... The space that these characters inhabit in terms of they're teenagers, but they're kind of aspirational teens in that they're the way that younger teens view older teens as being full adults. Hmm. But you're right. It is a weird thing with Thunder and Lightning where, yeah, they're, they're supposed to be, I think, in the same like, well, they're adults when we need them to be adults, but they're teens. So they're kids in relation to older people. Mm-hmm. I think they're supposed to be how teens view themselves as, we're all grown up, why won't everyone treat us like grown ups? 
Okay. Yeah. So that that would be how I would read the those kids. They did it. Uh, I thought that was pretty clear that they were talking about thunder and lightning. But you're right. They are drawn looking pretty adult. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense now that you give me your take on it. That didn't even occur to me that that I was just yeah. like, "Where's there some kid <laughs> off panel that's doing something <laughs> this guy doesn't like?" Like. Yeah, that's just an unrelated comment. I was waiting for a picket they, sign to pop out. You know. Right, or just somebody hit him with a with a spitball from their slingshot. Oh. Just happened off panel. That right. was some punch up that some somebody came into the comic book and was just like, you need more off panel action happening in here. Let's uh, let's throw in a reference to that. Sure. At a similar point in that, there was a weird thing that happened, a, a weird piece of dialogue where when Thunder and Lightning are fighting the army, that shows up to subdue them. They do their thing where they release the tension that's been building up inside of them. And everybody is caught in a giant, in my opinion, sexual metaphor tornado. Okay. Then comes the clarion call of death itself. The heavens roar as thunder bellows with anger. And it shows the soldiers being tossed around a little bit. And it says, though none die, at this moment, all wish they had. That seems unlikely. I bet they're all pretty glad that they're not dead. Maybe all of those soldiers also have terrible home lives that we don't know about. Hmm. But just in reaction to being tossed around, I mean, I get that you would have a definitely, well, this sucks. I don't think they would all be wishing they were dead right then. I think uh, Wolfman's trying to say that it's really painful. Whatever Thunder is doing to them. Yeah. It just really super sucks to be there. Like, do you think maybe part of his Thunder power... So, like, his powers are maybe... Are they sound-based? Yeah, like their eardrums hurt really bad. <laughs> yeah, or like maybe he's making like the brown note and they all pooped their pants. Oh. And they're all embarrassed. Oh, I wish I was dead. Oh, this is awful. In front of all my soldier buddies. Mm. Never gonna live this one down. That's probably it. Yeah, but if they knew that everybody was pooping their pants, then I bet they would feel a lot better about it and it would be kind of a nice bonding moment they could all have. Mm-hmm. They might not talk about it all the time, but they would all know like, hey... You remember that time when that kid showed up and we all pooped ourselves? In that tornado. In that tornado. Sexual. <laughs> sexual bitch. <laughs> Let's not talk about that, but I think we're closer for having experienced it. Uh, weird. I think that's probably how it went Okay. okay. You want to get into the minutiae? Yeah, why don't we do that? <laughs> Rick, sing us in, please. We got minutiae. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutiae. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutiae. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Rick. So, before we dive into the minutiae, I, over the past week have done something I don't do a lot, which is go back and listen to some of the old episodes. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And I think for perhaps our newer listeners, thinking of the Minutia song, it it may be wise to clear the air a bit on fart etiquette. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because I don't know from the context of the song folks necessarily get (laughs) the history of the Corey eating farts lyric. (laughs) Well, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Corey, nobody's trying to shame you here. Because the listeners can't see the gesticulation <laughs> of your take on fart etiquette. Maybe you can just All right. explain it. My take on fart etiquette is that if one is to pass gas mm-hmm. in the company of others, the most courteous thing that one can do is to try to gobble up all of the air... <laughs> Of the farts that they have just released, so that the one who dealt it is the only one who has to smelt it. 
And so yeah, if you fart, try to eat your fart because you're the only one who has to deal with it and it gets sucked back into you. Mm -hmm. And I... And you refused to do that because you are not a gentleman. <laughs> and yeah, I'm not a gentleman. The gesture, too, that accompanies this, I wish you guys listening could see it. It, it is a cookie monstering. Yeah, very much of a cookie monster thing. Both hands just paddling furiously, trying to waft those vapors right back from whence they came. Yes, like a gentleman. So there you have it, folks. Fart etiquette. Yes. According to Hub. You're welcome. Anyway, Manusha. Yeah, sartorially speaking. Which fashion choices made in this issue would you like to highlight? So obviously we need to talk about Thunder and Lightning's Get Up. Okay. Before we do that, uh, there is one little panel that I thought was pretty cute, and that was Beast Boy and, and Tara getting ready to go out and see the movies. Yeah. And they just look all 80s up. They look like 80s actual teenagers. Mm-hmm. Pretty cute. They have puffy jackets. They're both wearing turtlenecks, too. Mm-hmm. Turtlenecks, puffy jackets. It's, it's a good look. I also... Would like to touch on Kid Flash's attire. When he is having his flashback to when he got his powers, he is dressed Bow like tie. the biggest goddamn nerd in the world. Bow tie. Yeah, he is a nine-year-old kid or whatever wearing a fucking bow tie. Blue bow tie with a white shirt, right? Blue bow tie with a white shirt, which makes sense when you consider that his origin happened in real time in, like, the issue that it came out in came out in 58, 60, something like that. Mm. But within the fiction of the comic books, which we saw in the Teen Titans miniseries that we just covered, these kids became teenagers and their early teens were, like, mid-70s, mm. late-70s. Kid Flash was dressing like that in the late-70s. I bet he got beat up a lot. Like, what a fucking nerd. Yeah, those 70s kids do not like bow no, ties. No, the white button-down shirt with a bow tie? What the fuck was he doing? It's like having a kick-me sign on you. Yeah, no kidding. Blue Valley seems like a real, like, Squaresville. Sure. Like, that's before you get the ironic nerdcore dressing that you have now, where, like, I know, know a fair amount of people who wear bow ties is kind of a fashion statement, but for a 70s kid to be just wearing a white shirt? Not a trace tie, of irony. No. Whatsoever. No. And the Kid Flash that's depicted in these comics doesn't seem like an irony kind of guy either. No. No. So, pretty dorky. Zounds. <laughs> Gadzooks. Yikes. <laughs> like, what an L7. <laughs> oh, wow. Shaggy. Yeah. It's pretty good. Thank you. You wanted to get into uh, Thunder and Lightning's look a little bit? Oh, I'm into their look. Yeah. I'm into their look too. I think it's a good look. They have like a smock, like an like a Yeah, they they have like an apron that has shoulder pads. Yeah. Lightning is a slimmer dude and it's his is more like form fitting. On Thunder, it looks like it would not be totally out of place if it said kiss the cook on it. Yeah, little apron. Yeah, little apron but with like the big shoulder pad, pointy shoulders that you know like looks like maybe they could do some 80s style business lady Office stuff management yeah it matches in color the the cowls or the head scarf things that they yeah got, which, yeah and then they've nice. got the streaming ribbons coming off of the back mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a pretty solid look i i enjoy it a good sash to go with their apron things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. although we do see that uh lightning is only a white belt which means that either he's a hipster or he is a novice at some sort of martial art or he's just like one of those super old school martial artists that says things like, belts are just good for holding up your pants. Now by old school martial artist, do you mean Jean-Claude Van Damme's trainer in Kickboxer? Oh, is that where that comes from? I think it might be. 
as you know, I was recently in <laughs> Cambodia. <laughs> uh-huh. Which we had some back and forth on. Most of the story I know did take place in Thailand, but there are scenes where he is exploring the temples at, I think, Angkor Wat. I'm pretty sure. God, I can't remember. All right. I've only seen the movie a thousand times. I should yeah. know this. You right know now. the scene I'm talking about, though, like where it's just like... kicking the tree? No, no. He... There, it, it's one of several montages. There's the training montage where he's kicking the tree sure and having coconuts Thailand. dropped that's on his tummy. That's in Thailand. That is in Thailand. Okay. But there's a scene between him starting his training and his brother getting hurt where I think he even just says, like, I'm going to go look at the temples in Angkor Wat. Ah. And there's this montage scene of him just wandering around being awed by the temples and looking like kind of sad and contemplative mm. it's kind of a filler you know how like every john woo movie has like the scene that is just like oh you threw in a karaoke video in the middle of this we're gonna need three thousand pounds of flower petals yeah it's one of those scenes mm. what are we talking about uh belts fashion you know, yes <laughs> yeah. thunder and lightning right so good looks good looks let's take this party to the bozo <laughs> Right. Corey, what instance of a character calling another bozo, either literally or metaphorically, would you like to talk about? Tara is on a roll. She really is. She has a few in this. And um, and Borgie is the, the target of this little volley that I'm thinking of. Okay. And it starts on page five. She opens up with the salvo of calling him oil breath. Uh-huh. And then uh, doubles down by suggesting he should go out into the rain and tarnish. Yes. Zing. Yes. Quite. I decided to go with a more simple offering that Tara had. It is during her fight with Thunder, and it's on page 15. Uh, Thunder says, come, fast one. I am not done with you. And Tara comes out of nowhere, sucker punches him, and says, you may as well be, jerko. Oh, that was Tara that said that. <laughs> yep. I, I had that written down also. I, I got confused if that was Kid Flash or not. Call no, no, that was, that was Tara. And Kid Flash is surprised, too, because he says, Tara? Strong language, young lady. Yeah. But she has another one, too, later when she is fighting Thunder. I don't know if it counts as a zinger, but she says sometimes a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. And she throws a bunch of rocks at him and says, by the way, haven't you heard? Getting stoned is a bad thing. Mm. Which definitely fits with the times. I think 83, the drug war had started. Oh, and... yeah, yeah, yeah. And there yeah. was a lot of PSAs and all yep. of that. She's been listening to her Nancy Reagan. Ugh. Did you have a timestamp or a show and tell in this or both? I went with timestamp. As did I. I think I'm leaning towards maybe getting rid of the show and tell category. It seems like it's a little bit more of a stretch every episode. If one stands out at us, we can mention it in the regular mm -hmm. section. But yeah, uh, yeah what was your timestamp? My timestamp was, uh, as we touched on, and sartorially speaking, the, the kids are getting ready to go out and see a movie. Uh-huh. And they make a joke that it turns out I was not the first person to make, strangely enough, about Friday the 13th having 13 Yeah, Friday the 13th, 13. And this time everybody dies. Like, I'm pretty sure that joke has been made by kids all yeah. over yeah. the Yeah, I US. think as soon as there was a Friday the 13th part two, mm -hmm. then people started joking about there being... 13. Friday the 13th, part 13. Everybody dies. Here's the thing. I don't think we're still up to the 13th Friday the 13th movie. I know Jason X was the one where they went into space. Maybe that's where Elon they Musk did... got the name for <laughs> SpaceX. Oh, no. Oh, Those God. poor people. What will happen? And then you got 
the relaunch, which they did, which I think was the 11th. So I think they're only up to 11 Friday the 13th movies, even if you count the reboot. They might have done a second one of those. Even so, that would put it at 12. Hmm. So, we're about I mean, to... we're like 30 years after this comic book came out. This joke is a long time in the making. 35 years after this comic book came out, and we're still not up to Friday the 13th, part 13. So... There wasn't there a parody film, Saturday the 14th? There was a movie called Saturday the 14th, which I've never seen, but I've seen the video box cover to so many times. Mm. I think Jeffrey Tambor was in it. Yeah, had a green-headed dude with fangs. Did you ever see the movie? I don't think so. No, it's one of those, like, there's that, there's ghoulies I've still never seen. There are all of these movies that, like, the box cover to these movies... I've seen a thousand times in video stores when I was growing up, and I have my own relationship to the box of the movie that I have never and likely will never see this film. That Ghoulies one really made a mark on you. I, I feel like this has come up in our conversations in, inside and outside of the podcast. It is terrifying. Like, maybe on a monthly basis. Probably. Probably. It's the ones that probably Im- impacted me the most in very different ways were Angel. <laughs> They had a whole series of those. Too. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen any of them. The mm. Schoolgirl by Day, High Priced Call Girl by Night. Right. And uh, and Ghoulies, mm. probably. But I do remember seeing Saturday the 14th, mm. the video box cover for that, many, many times. What did you have? I had the same one. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sound effects. What sound effect do you want to discuss? My favorite sound effect. Well, okay. I have a, a sound effect that I like, and then I have an application of a sound effect that I like a lot. Okay. And the application of the sound effect that I like a lot, I'm going to give the nod to, and that's Starfire blasting Creepo off right. of her. It's a pretty standard scree, mm-hmm. but what it signifies is that she Starfire blasted Speedy when he tried to fucking smooch her against her will. Yes. So that's great. Yep. So yep. that that gets my vote, but that is closely followed up by, as we've talked about, I feel like many times before, the name of a maybe third wave ska band. Uh, in this case, Ska Brack. Ska Brack, pretty good. I think they opened for Skavuvi in 98. 94? Or the Lights way back in the day. Oh, yeah. Or Scavocado. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we have a friend who was in a ska band called Scavocado. Oh, boy. There are a lot of good sound effects in this one. I think I'm going to go with, on page 22, we get Cyborg backhanding Thunder, and it goes, Spoom! Spoom is nice. I don't think of that as a backhand noise. I don't generally either, but that's I'm pretty sure what's happening in that panel. There is also a foom in this issue, which mm. I enjoy... Because it seems kind of subversive to have Foom in a DC comic. I think that is a very hokey sound. Well, it also was the name of the fan club, the Friends of Old Marvel. Oh, uh, Foom. Yeah. So mm. I, I enjoyed seeing that, too. Mm. What was your favorite panel? Oh, man. It, after reading so many Defenders comics, it's it's really kind of fun to come back to the detail and just the artwork is amazing for us. It really It really is. kills it. And I loved all the detailed stuff, especially the St. Louis depictions, which I still don't know why St. Louis is so prominently featured in this issue. But yeah. It really is. And, and it's great. But I went with something much simpler and it's on page nine and Raven has this look of just absolute incredulity on her face that I don't really understand why she has it and it or maybe it's like uh disgust that she's trying to mask because one of the other ladies has passed gas because they both look super <laughs> serious and her face she's just like Ooh, this is terrible 
Somebody needs to learn some fart etiquette. I, it might just be that that is the general face she makes when she sees Speedy. It's just <laughs> like, I thought that asshole had left for good. But then he pops up on the telescreen to tell them to go to St. Louis. Yeah, it is a weird face that she is making, and I had not even noticed it before. <laughs> it's it's one of the strongest expressions that I feel like I've I've seen drawn yeah on these issues but it's kind of out of context so i think you're right i think it's speedy she's just like oh this asshole again yeah that is really good obviously my favorite moment in the issue is speedy getting screed a well-deserved starfire punch but i had a couple of favorite panels that are both kind of almost incidental matters in the issue but i really enjoyed how they were done one of them is on page eight, and it is the army people talking to each other. And I called the panel Terrible Gun Safety. Because <laughs> he's po- because oh, the, geez. there's a private who is just like absent-mindedly pointing his pistol at his superior officer. Really right in his face, but it's they're also being kind of dumb. The city is shrouded with the thunder clouds from Thunder and Lightning doing their thing. But the the superior officer, we don't know exactly what his rank is, but he's kind of a Thaddeus Ross looking dude and he's wearing his sunglasses. And there's a private who's sitting next to him who just, yeah, is casually pointing his gun at him while, while his superior is saying that they're going to bluff and tell them to stand down. And it's just a weird, goofy scene. And I just really like the way that it's drawn. My favorite, though, is a scene towards the end, and it is of Beast Boy getting punched in the face. Sadly, not by Starfire or Terra, but by Thunder, and it is just a hippo getting punched in the face. Ah. And it makes the noise spack, and it's great. Yep, hippo punch. Just hippo punch. And it's the kind of punch where the fist is coming from beneath the waves, so it's almost like the horror movie thing of the hand coming out of the grave. Mm. But yeah, just this fist coming out from underwater and punching a green hippo in the face. Real fun. Tops. Let's get into what for me was the most difficult category to choose. Every issue of a new Teen Titans comic book has a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans, and an Aqualad, the best of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Speedy? Who did the worst? I wrote down the three guys that we talked about kind of at the beginning, Speedy, uh, Robin, and also Beast Boy. Okay. I do have a winner, and the winner is is Speedy. Yes, the category is named. He earned his title this time, he, I feel like. I think you're fair. This is kind of a dealer's choice. Beast Boy is awful and creepy and gross. Speedy is speedy, so awful and creepy and gross. Dick is dick. He's a total dick. Mm-hmm. I decided to go with Wally. Really? Just because he forgot how to juggle? it really bothered me the whole use of the metaphor of i can't juggle two things you don't need to juggle two things two things you can just hold in your hands and also you can fucking juggle nobody says two balls either like everybody says too many balls in the air yeah or something else nobody says or i can't juggle this many balls yeah yeah i can't do two things i can't i can't i can't juggle these two hey guys two balls yeah good one you know that's it yeah come on man yeah yeah (laughs) so that's why i went with wally fair enough conversely who did you have as your aqualad in this issue this was a much easier choice for me i went with starfire on this for me too for punching speedy yep yep for no longer bothering with dick yeah all around good good choices (laughs) good choices well done Mm -hmm. all right well 
That leaves me with just one more question for you. Hmm. Corey. Yes. Been a while. Yes, it has. Wapoot! Indeed. Wapoot! What is Aqualad probably up to? Corey, in the year of our Lord, 1983, and the month of our Lord, June. Mm-hmm. What was Aqualad probably up to? He's having a bit of a head-scratcher. He was uh, reading the paper on um, the morning of the 11th, uh-huh. the beautiful month of June. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a bit in there about legal proceedings about the Supreme Court. And he was just really trying to make heads or tails of this decision that they had made where evidence illegally obtained could still be admissible in court if it could be proved that that evidence would have somehow or other come to light Hmm. which is a bit of a head scratcher like it gets you thinking of like that's a real big can of worms to open legally and he's just going through all of it and it just gets to be too much and he's like you know what fuck this i need to take my mind off of things Uh, i'm gonna go see a movie what movie does he go and see he goes to see ghostbusters and it's fucking great (laughs) fair enough that's it he does ghostbusters was 84 uh, I, shit, I hope I didn't put in the wrong year. Did Gremlin, Gremlins and Ghostbusters came they out came the out same They came out the year? same month, yeah. Okay. Ghostbusters was 84, Corey. Oh, no! Yeah, uh, it came out in June of 84. All right, so Aqualad, through a series of unfortunate events, not necessarily of his own doing, which may have had to do with some future time loop so problem. So, in June of 1983... Aqualad found a time portal to 1984 and watched a preview of Ghostbusters? Yeah, because Corey got confused about how to type threes and fours into the Google. They're tricky numbers. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Good call. And while he was at it, he was like, fuck it, I'm going to go to a record store. I like that movie so much. I'm going to go find that Ghostbusters soundtrack. He sees Purple Rain. He's like, yeah, pretty good, but... Do you know that Ghostbusters was the first album that I bought for myself with my own money? I believe I did know that. Yeah. That's a little... Pretty, a little something for you. Pretty, pretty good. Uh, <clears throat> uh, those busboys really tore it up on that album. Indeed. Indeed. As did Air Supply. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Well, in addition to, and perhaps before or after he found that time portal carrying him exactly one year into the future, Aqualad was in France. What? You know why it was in France? Because of the cheese. No, it actually relates to a different movie. Hmm. Monty Python's The Meaning of Life was having its French premiere in June (laughs) of 1983. And Aqualad was invited because he helped train the fish that were used in the sequence. In the DC Universe, they used live fish to have their conversation about what the potential meaning of life was in Hmm. the interstitial bits of that film. And... Those fish were trained by Aqualad. He didn't really get a lot of the jokes in the movie. Mm-hmm. He did think the puke scene was very funny. Mm-hmm. And he felt bad that when he saw the movie and you saw what the fish were saying, he was like, that's not what those fish were thinking in that scene. Mm. This movie's a lie. Oh. But overall, there was a lot in it that he enjoyed. Good to know. Well, he was in France, much like Yondu from the Guardians of the Galaxy, Aqualad, huge clay court tennis fan. So, he did watch the 1983 French Open in which Yannick Noah, maybe my favorite tennis player ever, Hmm. beat Mats Wielander for the French Open Championship. Yannick Noah, also the father of Joachim Noah, who who plays for the Chicago Bulls. No kidding. Well, no kidding, but I think now he plays for the Knicks. He hasn't been that good in the past few years, Hmm. but best known as a Chicago Bull. All right. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to. Fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us, dear readers. 
Anyway, thank you so much for joining us, dear listeners. It has been wonderful to have Corey back in the studio with us. Yay! Oh, I call this a studio. Why not? It's my comic book room, but we, we record things here enough. That I makes it a studio. That makes it one. Yeah. And thank you for joining us, listeners. If you'd like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. If you would like to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or your podcatcher of choice, then, you know, do. If you would like to follow us on Facebook or Twitter, those are things you can do as well. If you would like to donate some money, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. And if you uh, decide to go over to that Patreon page, there's an episode I recorded with my niece and nephew, Molly and Jacob, that's up there. And there's one that Corey and I did a little while ago about the uh, anti-drug special. The, one of the anti-drug specials oh. that came out for the new Teen Titans. And mm-hmm. there's also one that we did about uh, Auto Man and Turbo Teen. There's mm-hmm. a episode about what Mr. Jupiter and Wonder Girl were up to at some point in the time between the new Teen Titans and the old Teen Titans. So, yeah, you can check that out. There's some stuff up there. I'm going to be putting some more stuff up there as it comes out. So, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm not going to bother with Dick anymore. <laughs> Juggle two balls. <laughs> and they knew it. Uh, if you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at TT Wasteland. God damn it. If you would like to get into touch with us, and I said it again, if you would like <laughs> that's, to... That's how you say it now. That's how oh, it is. That's fair.